Hi humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, onto the episode. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you? We're good. Things are hectic. Things are always hectic. <laughs> yeah, especially right now, I'm sure. I feel that. I don't know. Yeah, so we're so excited to talk with you today. Honestly, this has been something that I have uh, really been looking forward to seeing that we have a lot of similar heritage and then also similar um, stories. So, yeah, I'm so excited to talk about that. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Caitlin B. Curtis. She's a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. She's a Christian. She's a poet who speaks on faith and justice within the church as it relates to indigenous peoples. She most recently released a book called Native. It's a book about identity, soul searching, and the never-ending journey of finding ourselves and finding God. As both a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation and a Christian, Caitlin shares what it means to experience her faith through the lens of her indigenous heritage and encourages us to embrace our own origins. And this book is amazing. Everyone go get it right now. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. (laughs) Thank you. So, you know, before we really dive into some of our our questions for you and some of our different topics we want to cover, could you just give us a little bit of your background? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like you said, I'm, um, a citizen of the Potawatomi nation. I was born in Oklahoma and, um, grew up moving back and forth between New Mexico and Oklahoma. My father worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And so we moved a lot. And when I was like eight, we moved to Missouri, this small town in Missouri. And, um, not long after that, my parents got divorced. My father left and, and I, you know, I grew up Christian, but I think there, I really just like found myself, you know, just full on like into the the Baptist church because it was just like my safety net, you know? And right. it was, you know, my, um, my mom got remarried. My, my stepdad is a, a pastor, a wonderful, sweet man. And, you know, and it was just like, when you have such a shock, a traumatic shock to your system as a kid, you try to find the safe things. And right. I had an amazing church growing up and it was wonderful. But I think, you know, when you become an adult, you're, kind of job is to reassess and ask questions about what you grew up with. And that's just kind of what I'm doing. And, and so I did it kind of through this book. Um, I live in Atlanta with uh, my two kids and my partner, Travis and our two dogs. And yeah, I write, I write full time. I write online. I write books, I write poetry and I really love it. I love, um, coming to these conversations through writing and just kind of asking questions and helping people ask their own questions. So that's what I'm passionate about. Love it. That's awesome. Um, So 
I, I wasn't sure which of your parents then is native. My dad. Your dad. Okay. I, that's, yeah. that's what I thought, but I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you grew up. So I read in your book, you know, it was around nine years old when your parents split. And so then that was yeah. like kind of a turning point for you to kind of move forward into uh, finding stability within like your your mom and some of the more the culture that she surrounded you with. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't even remember when I was young. I don't remember my dad really even going to church with us when he was home, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, he worked overnight, just things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it just, that was the, the safe place to go to, you know? Right. So, you know, we're going to be real native and swap stories <laughs> real quick. So, um, my, uh, so I am a member of the Chippewa Nation. So Chippewa of okay. the Thames, um, First Nation, my reservation is in Canada, uh, my, so it's my dad's side as well. Um, okay. and my mom is white. And, um, so my dad's dad was full Chippewa, you know, Ojibwe, same, same tribe, um, for those who don't mm-hmm. know. And he was full native. And then my dad's mom was, um, Mexican and she was like, had, uh, okay. native Mexican Aztec heritage. Um, I never did meet her. She actually, she died 29 years ago. Um, so before I was born and, um, yeah, so my dad was actually raised by her mainly, um, because his dad was not really around all that much. However, in the summers, my dad would live, uh, on the reservation, um, with mm. his, his grandparents, um, uh, cause he grew up in inner city Detroit. Okay. So yeah, he has, you know, he has a whole long, <laughs> beautiful story. Um, but you know, growing up, I, I'm his oldest. So his biological oldest, I have mm-hmm. an older brother who is technically my half brother. Um, okay. and so my half brother, he's, he's a very white man. <laughs> he's blue <laughs> eyes, white, very, very blonde <laughs> hair. Like, you know, some people grow up and their blonde hair grows out. His did not. So he, he's yeah. a very white man. Love him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm my dad's first biological kid. And, um, growing up, I did, I was very much a, a, a part of my culture and heritage, although I didn't live near my reservation. Um, at that yeah. time, my parents weren't as um, religious as they have kind of grown into. Mm. Um, and so that, that being said, my parents are both more conservative evangelical, um, Christians now. Um, but before then, when I was younger, uh, my dad, he would actually do educational, uh, I don't even know what to call them, but he would go to like my presentations. Yeah. Presentations. He would go to like, um, the public schools and, other events and he would speak on native culture and heritage and I would fancy dance. So for those who don't know, that's that's a a type of dance natives do during rituals like powwows and things like that. So I did fancy dance. And so I was very um, aware and very proud of my heritage from a very young age. Um, And so Anyway, I, I, I really relate to your story as far as, far as like there was a point. There was, I think in your book you say there was life, 
before nine years old and there's yeah. a life after. And yeah. that's exactly the same for me, honestly, um, because then when puberty hit, a lot of my, um, that's when like you talk about true love weights and purity culture, you experience the same thing. I did too. Um, and, you know, I was kind of going through my notes and I think maybe you can relate to this, but um, it was it was kind of as if the people around me and my parents they were okay and happy with me being a native kid. Uh, but as soon as I turned into a woman, it was, I, I, I wasn't really um, allowed to be a native woman so mm. much as I was allowed to be a native kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of power and there's a lot of healing that I've done in yes. that. Um, but yeah, so that's just a little bit of my story and how like, you know, I, I really relate to you in, in that way. I was a really spiritual kid and then evangelicalism kind of took over for, you know, yeah. 15 years. Is that, is that more than? Yeah, 15 years till I was about 24, 25. And then I deconstructed and then I found my yeah. way back. So was that, is, is that similar for you that your you kind of experienced uh, decolonization in your own life at the same time as your deconstruction. Yes. Yes. So I, yeah. And you know, it's interesting, like for me um, in like teenager, early college years, you know, like I somehow, and I don't even know if it's, I don't think anyone even meant for it to happen. It's just, it's what assimilation does is I thought, I don't, I don't want to go back to Oklahoma. I don't, I don't, Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to associate with my, I don't want to be poor again. Like, I don't, right. I, it, like, it hurts. It hurts too much. You know, I was associating my identity as a Potawatomi young woman with, with my poverty and with shame and with, you know, all those things that we're taught to associate it with right. really. And, and, you know, looking back now, I just like, I hate that so much, but it's just what happened. And so, yes, when I started deconstructing my faith in my you know, mid twenties after I had kids, you know, I found like Richard Rohr and, you know, Mm -hmm. some of Mm -hmm. just kind of the broader expanse of Christianity thinking like, okay, there, there's a lot more out there that I didn't know. Yeah. And I wrote my first book, Glory Happening, kind of in that space where I was starting, just starting to like break out a little and like, you know, call God mystery (laughs) instead of like God, you (laughs) know, like Mm -hmm. I was really, I was really breaking out of the mold, but for me that was, you know, and um, yes. And then I think that that like allowed, allowed me to just like kind of crack open wider to, oh, like there's actually other parts of me actually that I need to be listening to. And this is more than just me deconstructing. Like there are systems here and there are things that, that have been a part of my life and I've been a part of, and I, I want to break those down and being, you know, being white and native, like, I feel like I need to do that even more. Like I need to decolonize even more because of the systems I participate in and because of the white privilege that I have, it's like even more necessary now. And, but yeah, they totally went hand in hand. Yeah. That's totally what happened for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same. I I was talking to Adam, so I know you can't see us, but I'm, I'm caramel brown and Adam is very white. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Adam was, uh, you know, we were, we were both talking about this beforehand and, um, it was just an interesting, it's always an interesting conversation talking about race because there's things that I've always identified with. Um, I've always identified with being, um, brown. 
So I've mm-hmm. always identified with that side when I was a kid to grow, you know, to being an adult and taking a Native American studies class in college. Um, it was always me, us, you know, I, I was always yeah. part of the Native Americans and then there was a them <laughs> white people. <laughs> yeah. So oh, it's an interesting uh it's interesting now married to Oh, why, man? There, there's a, there's yeah. a, um, there's a meme out there that's it. Actually, it's Pocahontas. It, it's very much poking fun, but it's it's Pocahontas saying like, "Look out for the white men," and then the next like picture is like her kissing John Smith, and it's <laughs> yeah. like me. <laughs> um, but <laughs> me, yeah, me too, me too, you too, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting. Do you ever feel like so being half white and not living? on the reservation, um, I know for me personally, so I'll just speak from my personal experience. There are times that I feel like a native poser. Do you ever feel oh, totally. like that? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, that's what's scary about it. And that's why like, I've tried to be so careful in like writing this book and the way that I speak is that this is just my experience because like, that's what people do is like, Oh, please speak for all natives now. Like tell us mm. about the native experience. And I'm like, no, no, like, I cannot do that. And, um, like, this is my, my experience. This is my journey of, you know, reconnecting and trying to make these steps. And I wanted to be so intentional about that in native as I wrote it, because, you know, um, it is, it's, it's super hard to not live, you know, near, I mean, in Atlanta, it's hard to find any indigenous community. Like I have friends and we all hang out. But like, there's not a tribal center here or, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not like that. It's not like Oklahoma or uh, Minnesota or, you know, like there's just not, it's not the same. And so, yes, it totally, it's totally hard. And, um, and I've tried my best to be honest about that because, because people have so many messed up stereotypes about what it means to be native. And, um, but for me, like changing my own life and changing my kid, you know, having my kids know, like they know their Potawatomi, they know what it means to pray in Potawatomi. They know these things that I didn't know growing up. And I like, if I can do that for them, that's like one of the most important jobs I can have right now is to have them know who they are and then to know myself in the process, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. (laughs) I I've heard you speak on, um, having your your status card and you yeah uh always having that with you I also have my status card with me all the time um there there has actually been a few times that people have like asked like wanted to see it and people yeah meaning like they didn't like truly believe I was actually actually native they're like oh cool 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 so like you're just like you like native stuff I'm like no yeah okay so I have to prove to you with this little piece of paper (laughs) um so yep. do your do your kids feel the have they ever felt disconnected from that native heritage? Or I, I don't even know. Are they technically status? Not that that even matters, but Yeah. So I've been able to enroll them with the tribe. And so um which was like a really powerful thing for me to do that for them because yeah. my dad did that with me. You know, I remember like standing in the line at the office to get my card and you yeah. know, and that that was such a that's such a vivid memory for me. And so doing that for them through the mail, you know, like getting it in the mail was so amazing. Um, I think, I think that they're really proud to be native. Like I can see that in them, which makes me so happy, but also it's like, as their mom, I have to be extra 
cautious with school, any school that Mm. they're enrolled in and what they're, what are their teachers teaching them? Like even during COVID, their teachers were doing an online lesson on the history of Georgia. And it was very much like the Mm. good natives were so helpful in establishing Georgia. And I was like, no, like I, if so, where are they? (laughs) We just, yeah, we just didn't do the lesson. I was like, no, that's okay. And so my partner and I had to like read through it and, you know, and we just decided not to even let him know that that's what the lesson was because, you know, and so you're always on, you're always trying to protect them and help and help them navigate this. And, and it's, it's so hard. I mean, it's so hard on guard all the time. Yeah. Do you have, do you have uh, native relatives that you're close with? Um, there, I mean, my dad and I still, um, you know, message and talk like not a lot, but we're still, we still are in communication. Um, and he lives in New Mexico. And so, um, yeah, we talk a bit and then I have, you know, some aunts that I talk to and I'm trying to kind of get more information because like my grandma never talked about being, we just didn't talk about it. Like it wasn't like, Hey, we're Potawatomi. I just, and then she died when I was in high school. Mm. And so I, you know, when by the time I was the age to really want to know, yeah, I can't ask her and I don't know if she'd want to talk about it. That's what, that's what assimilation does is yeah. it, it silenced so many of our grandparents and our parents to not, to be trained to not talk about it, you know? And yeah. so, um, that has been hard is, is trying to find people, you know, but I have people who are like distant relatives or members of the same clan, you know, in my tribe and like just right. trying to build those relationships from afar, mm. you know, like has been really beautiful and just meeting other indigenous people who are like, there's so many of us on this same journey of right. trying to figure this out and in a digital world, trying to figure it out. And it's good to know we're not alone, you know, that there are a lot of us trying to do this. Right. Well, it's yeah. just interesting. Like, I feel like so much of the conversation, even familiarly is, closed off almost it's cut short just because I feel like there is so much pain and there is still so much hurt that's so generationally close like mm-hmm. your grandparents or so, Lauren's yeah. grandparents even like experienced yeah. things that people don't even realize happened right my so my my grandfather was um taken to boarding school mm-hmm. um and my great-grandmother used to say um, that she was glad that she was an ugly girl because she wasn't raped and beaten as many as uh, much as the other girls. Yeah. Um, mm. and, and my my grandpa, um, he, you know, he was beaten. He was a bedwetter, so he got beaten a lot. And um, he he eventually, I think he, he eventually ran away. He got away. He swam across the river, all this. Um, and mm-hmm. it's interesting. I So he actually passed two years ago now um and yeah it's interesting because he he wouldn't really talk about it I think he did at one point and so my my older cousins and my um aunts and uncles they know more uh of his actual personal experiences but I think the older he got he just like didn't want to talk about that pain um, at all and you know he used to say uh well it was actually he was in a catholic school however he he says that it was methodist and so he's like yeah those methodists have a method that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) um and so yeah the stories are so so near they're so close people think it's like this far off fairy tale 
land that happened no. hundreds of years ago. And that's just not the case. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the Trail of Death, which was my tribe, we had a forced removal. And I write about it in the book from Indiana to, to Kansas. That was in 1838. I mean, that was not, that's not that long no. ago, you yeah. know? And so the trauma of that lives in me and it lives in my kids. And like, we have to be able to talk about it and understand, you know, why, why I was born in Oklahoma because, you know, there were people removed from our homelands and forced into another land that they had never seen or known before. You know, like there's a right. reason that we have a child in Oklahoma and it's not a happy reason, you know, um, right. but you're right. We don't, we don't talk about it and we act like indigenous histories or cultures are, are like so far back in like Westerns. Like that was mm-hmm. like cowboys know, and Indians so far, far back in our history. And it's not that far back. Right. You're right. Um, you, now you said you, we've talked about assimilation a couple of times now, but for those who don't really know and don't fully understand, could you give us, um, your definition of assimilation? Yeah. Um, I guess for me, assimilation is kind of a silencing or erasure of parts of yourself that aren't um, wanted by whiteness systems of whiteness. And so for me, like my indigenous identity was always pushed back and my whiteness was always elevated, you mm-hmm. know? And so yeah. I, I always, um, I mean, I knew I was Potawatomi, but I identified with whiteness much more because I was taught to, and assimilation is tricky. And I write about this in the book too. Like it's not, it can be very discreet and kind of under the rug, like, you know, you don't have to say we're assimilating, you now <laughs> for it to like right. be, you know, it's yeah. very real. And in, in the church, you know, we assimilate people all the time into white Western Christianity, you know, American Christianity. We, we do this to so many people. And so we have to talk about that. Yeah. 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 We become I, very good at creating systems. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, so to give you a little bit of our more current background. So Adam and I were, we were in the Christian music industry for about 10 years. Oh, okay. Um, and so that, that is quite the assimilating, um, industry, um, to say the least. Yeah. And purity culture runs rampant in, uh, the Christian music industry, Christian entertainment industry as a whole. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, you spoke about how you, at one point in your book that you led worship and that, you know, mm-hmm. you, that kind of almost became like an identity to you. And oh, I, yeah. I very much, very much yeah. relate to that. <laughs> um, it, it was my identity and it was tied with my spirituality and, um, and my, my career. It was my finances. Um, so having like, cause I, we toured internationally and all that. So it's like to have wow. that be my career identity, my spiritual identity, and then being, as assimilated as it was. Um, and so whitewashed, <laughs> truly, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, it, it was a very, very claustrophobic time uh, of, of my life. And I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think I realized until I was, um, I was in therapy once and my therapist was like, you know, you've been a church leader, like, mm-hmm for a long time. And I was, and she was like, not in a good way, you know, like yeah. basically like even as a young child, when, and, and it, like people, they're wonderful people. The people in my church were amazing, but like once they realized my talent, the whole thing is like, okay, time to use it for God, mm-hmm. you know? And like, yeah. 
you get to sing specials and now you get to lead the the youth choir or lead the youth um like youth band and now you get to and like I loved that because you feel like you're serving people and you're serving God and you're using your gifts like it's such a slippery slope you know right and I totally thought I was gonna be I was writing music as a teenager and, you know, justice oriented music and thought I was going to be a famous worship leader, like all the same stuff. And, and, um, so much so that if we, if we went to a church and I wasn't leading a small group or helping lead worship, I felt totally lost. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I was like useless at that church. And so, um, we don't go to church now. And I remember this point when all worship songs were just becoming really meaningless to me. Like I would be in the audience singing and I'm like, Mm. like, do you recognize how like awful these words are? Like, you know, a white, a white person singing them can sing them with no baggage. But like, I'm standing here as an indigenous woman singing lyrics that like are so colonial and no Mm -hmm. one even realizes it. And there was just this point where I was like, I can't, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't even think about leading worship anymore. It's just not there anymore. And that was really hard. So then did your deconstruction inform your decision to learn the Potawatomi language or did your learning the Potawatomi language come outside of Christianity and then kind of bleed back into it? I think that a lot of it kind of happened at the same time. Like as I was reading books and, you know, learning to expand that, those ideas of thought, I was very much still a Christian, you know, um, but I was becoming less and less maybe evangelical and more progressive in some ways. Um, no, the language thing just, it was just, um, when I decided like, okay, it's important for me to understand this part of me. Like, I didn't even know we had a language growing up. I did not know that there was a Potawatomi language. I had no idea. So like, realizing as an adult and like I'm I turn on the computer to listen to a prayer in Potawatomi and I just like start weeping because it's like you know a a soul language that I didn't know was there and that I needed so badly and um yeah it they just they really went alongside each other I mean it all just kind of happened you know and then when Standing Rock happened like it just it you know it, it was just like all these things that kept breaking me open wider and wider to okay, my tribe had its own forced removal and this is what happens with pipelines. And, you know, it was just like learning and becoming aware of these things that I didn't get to know when I was younger. And yeah, it was a messy ball of everything (laughs) all the time. (laughs) It usually is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like exhausted for over a year, like just because my brain was constantly pumping this, this, emotional energy and this like information, you know, For sure. so, um, it was hard, you know, but it was beautiful. Like I would never take it back. Yeah. Well, I mean, for us, like once we started realizing the gravity of language and language around your faith and all of that was the point that we started kind of having that same feeling when we were in worship spaces where it was, we were, we've been singing these songs for so long that yeah, when you're in a space of believing songs. that you're, you know, the scum of the earth and that you're nothing but evil and you need to be, yeah. and you need to be reconciled and all of that. Like once you start realizing what those words really do to you and what language being spoken over you can really do to affect your spirituality and yeah. your physical existence, I feel like you have to go into spaces like that and you will feel emotionally moved whether for good or bad, 
um, mm-hmm. by yeah. collecting in a space and singing those words over each other and over yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's pretty terrifying when you've, if you grew up with that white Jesus and that's the one you sing to, and that's the one that, you know, that we love so much. Like I had that moment in church where I was like, I don't think I know that Jesus anymore. And I was terrified because mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not a Christian anymore. Right. You know, And I had this <laughs> moment of panic because that's not allowed. Like mm-hmm. there, that is not allowed. And I didn't know anyone who had, mm-hmm. you know, named that before. And I'm, you know, and my partner and I are both going through that together. And we're just mm-hmm. like, what is, what is happening? And like, yep. why do these words not mean anything? And what if Jesus isn't what we thought? And, you know, and it's terrifying, it's terrifying to say those things out loud. Yeah. And a lot of Christians are scared to say it. And I want to be able to have that conversation with native Christians too, because there are a lot of us who grew up Christian or some mixture, you know, of cultures and are trying to figure out how to do this now as adults. Right. And I want, I want us to be able to talk about it because we, you know, we need to. Yeah. The first, the first thing that, one of the first things that kind of switched for me, um, in my deconstruction was, <laughs> uh, I, I immediately was like, God is not a he. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, and God is, is not necessarily a she either. It just depends on, you know, what you uh, relate to and yeah. whatever. But, but that was like, my first thing was like, God is not a he. And yeah. Yeah. I, I went from big God, Zeus God in the sky to what if I change? What if I, I challenged myself? It was uncomfortable at first to be like God, our mother, or be like she, when I'm talking about God, she's so loving. She takes care of me. She, you know, it was uncomfortable at first. And so what I had to do or what just really came naturally when I started saying she was, I saw an ancestor and I saw this grandmother, mother, native spirit. And that's who I was praying to. And that was what shifted my whole experience of God. And then I was like, oh, God does love me, want to protect me, is for me. That's good. All these things, whenever I could see that she was my my mother, grandmother, ancestor. Um, and so, yeah, switching switching pronouns and giving giving her that yeah. that image is was very um, very important to me, and and it affected a lot of other things, you know, moving forward. But that was that was basically a first step for me. Yeah, yeah, I I very much took on the like God is Papa because my dad left. I think I I needed a dad, you know. So yeah. like God was always that for me. But then also the very much like also God was this like guy in a courtroom who was like ready to unfold my sins in front of me when I die. Mm -hmm. Like, and so it was like this terror and comforter at the same time. And I like, don't know how I held all that Mm -hmm. as a kid. Right. Um, and yeah, the same for me, like knowing Kiche Manado or Mamo Gosnan, like being able to name God in a different language that has this expansive vision was so freeing for me. Um, and I still, I still connect so much more spiritually to those ideas of God or mystery than what Christianity has, at least right now, you know, it could change and I'm, and it may change and that's fine. But right now that is like much more where I can hold space. Yeah. And you talked about your ties with, you know, your past experience, you know, whenever you were young with 
your native heritage and culture. And of, of course you've done your healing with that. And for me, like my thing that I tied with my heritage was my spirituality. Um, yeah. I was a really, really spiritual kid. Um, I, yeah. I meditated before I ever knew what meditation was. I felt one with the earth and I felt one with yes. the ancestors and I was like a little child. Um, yeah. but like, you know, I, I spoke about how hitting puberty, that all changed. That's the moment I even remember religion. I know I was in church before that, but I don't even remember church before that. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. for me, you know, you talk about, you've said in your book and I've heard you say the, you can be native, but not too native. There's like a point of being too yeah. native that people have said, not that that's reality or true or good at all, but that's a lot of native Americans have been taught that to, yep. you know, back to the assimilation thing. And I, I spoke on my parents growing into more um, conservative Christians, which is like I said, yeah. is kind of the opposite of like how a lot of, the time that goes um and everything they do and they say they mean they mean well but they're always they've always known I was a spiritual kid a spiritual kid in my draw towards spirituality um and so because of I think their fear and maybe maybe something in my own my dad's experience and his parents his mom's fear of you know naming him Jeff you know making him really white um yeah you know I'm still told to be careful about how much yeah. I learn or dabble with my culture. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that the spirituality of my heritage could you know, drag me down this dark path, essentially. Yes. You know, don't be yes. too native. And that's been hard for me to work through. Um, yeah. Especially becoming from my own immediate family when all my aunts and cousins and uncles, you know, a lot of them still live on the res. My cousin Raymond, he works in the band office. Um, my, un- oh. my uncle, he teaches native studies like they're all in it like in it it. right and so I feel like and I I never I'm trying to be careful because my dad means so well and I think he has his own things he he probably should really work through with this (laughs) but um I I feel like I've been kind of pulled away from a lot of my heritage um that I was so closely um drawn to at a very young age and I'm finding my way I'm finding my way back to that and, and trying yeah. to figure out how that fits now with where the woman I am and my spirituality. And for you, like, do you, do you identify as a Christian still? Well, I tell people, I often tell people that I am on the periphery of Christianity, <laughs> um, you know, cause people, people will like call me a pagan and stuff to like Same make game. me upset and I don't right. I actually like it so it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work you know and right. they're like you're a pagan sympathizer and I'm like I am actually thank you, <laughs> thank you for that you know yeah like I um you know it's it's so interesting how many ways you can make Christians uncomfortable like right. saying that you saying that you learn more sometimes from people who aren't Christians. You learn more from your Buddhist friends or your Muslim friends or your Sikh friends or your Hindu, like that terrifies Christians because we, we want to center ourselves. And so I'm learning and learning to decenter my Christianity. I'm realizing like there are incredible people out there who practice love, who practice what it means to be good to each other who are not Christians. So how can I, how how can I be a Christian, but not like 
try to change everyone. Like, you know, can't we just like say, okay, we're different, but like, this is how we're going to be together. And I don't know. I really, even since writing native, like I still struggle with, um, the title of Christian and I don't know if it fits or not, you know? And, and I think that's okay. Like, it's okay. It's just what it is. Um, same girl, same. I feel you. I don't know. I'm, I'm in that same boat. And I, I you, like you hope that Christianity can ten, can reach that point of decolonization. But at this point, we've got so much work to do. Right. But there are people out there doing it who right. are white and who are black and who are, you know, like there are people um, who are doing this work from their own context. And like, right. that's beautiful to me. And that's the the kind of solidarity portion of the book is how can we do this together? How can we like, own our own identities and our own stories and just and decolonize wherever we can like small things and big things like we can do it it's just it's it's not what america would want for sure it's not maybe not what canada would want either but um it's but it's possible it's just can we ever get there right and i don't know well first step I think people should get your book. <laughs> so that's, I love that. That's your little your little push for the book. Um, yeah. So I, honestly, I feel like you're doing such a good work. I love following you um, on social media and all your speaking engagements. I'm always I'm always peeking in. It's it's beautiful. It's healing for me to see someone. I I feel very represented um, by you and your Thank story. You. And um, I know so many others will and do feel the same. And so, um, I, I appreciate you and, uh, thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. Awesome. Thanks guys for listening until next time. Bye. Bye. If you liked this episode, please share rate and review on whatever platform you're listening. As always, thanks so much for listening until next time. Bye.